This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. to be Mick Schumacher's big debut in F1, but the weather had another idea. No running today, and we go into the race weekend with the teams in the dark about the Nürburgring. I'm Jenny Gao, and this is Five Live Formula One. Well, a frustrating day for everybody around the track. Fans, everybody at home waiting for the action. It wasn't to happen, especially frustrating, I suppose, for Mick Schumacher and Callum Eilat, the two youngsters from the Ferrari Drivers' Academy who were expecting to get out in free practice one, and it didn't happen. And speaking of Michael Schumacher, it looks like Lewis Hamilton will get another stab at some point this weekend to try and equal his record of 91 race wins. Be kind of Strange but nice if you did it at the uh, Nürburgring, I suppose. Anyway, this is round 11 of the Formula One World Championship. It is at the Nürburgring. This race is called the Eiffel Grand Prix. And as ever, I have my usual crew around me to discuss all things Formula One. We have Andrew Benson, the BBC's chief F1 writer, Jolian Palmer, former F1 driver, and Jack Nichols, our lead F1 commentator. And Jack, it doesn't happen that often that we get absolutely no running on a Friday. No, it happens maybe I don't know once a year I would say is the is the kind of regularity you know maybe twice a year on a on a bad year but it's one of those things where we kind of don't mind and in fact in Imola in a race at the start of November they're doing it on purpose not having any Friday practice because one of the issues that makes Formula One very predictable is the amount of data that all the teams have so they know where they are then they do three hours of practice on a Friday so everybody's kind of happy with their cars and so the fastest car is quickest and the slowest car is slowest so missing out on this Friday especially going back to a new track and everything could be quite a bit of fun. Drivers Jolien were kicking about a little bit bored looking for things to do is it a frustration for a driver not to just be able to either go home, that's fine, and go back to your motorhome, wherever it is you're staying, and just have to linger around for the whole day because we just kept getting updates every half an hour. Uh, it's a frustration for the drivers as much as it is for everyone that wants to get the cars running and see some action, really. The drivers got to kick around, but... To be honest, it's the we fans. We had to kick around. Yeah, it's the, it's the, the fans had to kick around. The fans, most of all, because they've paid their money to come and watch some F1 racing during a global pandemic. And maybe, you know, it's something like 200 euros for a weekend ticket. Maybe some were just coming on Friday to just see cars on track and then they saw nothing. So actually, as with most of live sport, it's the, it's the fans that have sort of lost out. Nothing you can do about it. The fog's too low. Medical helicopter can't take off. But uh, it's actually the fans I feel most sorry for. So, Jolian, just tell us what is special, because we didn't see anything today on track, what is special about the Nürburgring? How do you drive it? What's it like? The Nürburgring is it's a nice track. It's nice and flowing. Um, what's special about it? I don't think there's anything particularly special about it. Of course, the Nordschleife over the road that it can link to for some full GT loop is, uh, is spectacular. But the, the new circuit, it's a nice flowing, slightly undulating circuit with... Not massive runoffs, some gravel traps around, which which we like. It can uh, can lead to some some more excitement come race day. 
bit of overtaking opportunities, potentially into the first corner, into the chicane at the end of the lap as well. But we've not seen a race in the hybrid era at Nürburgring. And um, it'd be interesting to see with these these engines, with DRS, how the, how the racing is. Yeah, it's been seven years since Formula One raced at the Nürburgring. 2013 was the last one. So it is a bit, it's sort of that half unknown, but also most of the teams... A few of the drivers will have raced here before in Formula One. Most will probably have raced here in junior categories in something or a, or another. It's it's one of those historic venues on the Nordschleife, but when it's been shortened, it doesn't quite really have the same feel. It, to me, it's a bit like the Red Bull Ring, where it was a superb old track. Now it's a not bad new track. I remember when it was first introduced, this track, in 1984, the first Grand Prix back then, and it was also in the autumn. And the disappointment then was that they'd kind of missed an opportunity, whereas the, the people at Spa had taken basically half of a classic road circuit and made a modern circuit out of it while keeping a large portion of the old track and maintaining the character of the old one in the new bit. The people at the Nürburgring, although this track's right next to the Nordschleife, it's not part of it. There's no part of this track that was the Nordschleife, and it doesn't have the same kind of drama and challenge that somewhere like Spa or Suzuka or Silverstone does. So it was a, at the back in 1984. It was a, quite a big disappointment. As times moved on and other antiseptic circuits have come in, actually, this is the sort of opinion of this track has has, has risen. Um, because there's so many more worse ones out there. Um, <laughs> You're but, selling um, it well here, Andrew. <laughs> but You're it's, selling it's it well. Not, in all honesty, it's not a great track, but in the context of 21st century Formula One, it's not a bad, nice little flowing circuit with a few challenging corners. There's a very quick left-right uh, uphill after this sort of bottom hairpin, which is good. Then there's another quick, not quite as quick, but still quick left-right leading onto the long back straight into the uh, the final chicane. Uh, the first bit where they've done a kind of stadium section to lengthen the lap a bit is a bit fiddly, but there was a fantastic race here in 2011 between uh, Weber and Hamilton and Alonso, which was absolutely gripping with some great overtaking as well. So there could be, there's no reason why it can't be a great race on, on Sunday. The other big news from this week, and I suppose a shock news for some, would be that Honda have announced they're going to leave F1 at the end of next season. I say leave F1 again, I should put in there. Um, Jack, were you shocked? Were you surprised? Did you see it coming? No one saw it coming, I don't think. I think anyone who who thinks they saw it coming is being a little bit revisionist because, OK, there are signs there if you look at it, but not not it wasn't hugely obvious. Um, I think it's a shame, but I think it's unsurprising in the sense of they're spending you know hundreds of millions on this project probably per year they're not having the success they would have wanted there's a global pandemic and economic troubles coming they also want to focus on their uh you know zero emission kind of projects and road cars so it kind of all makes sense to be honest it's a shame it's it's a negative for formula one that an engine manufacturer is leaving and it's the only engine manufacturer that was in formula one because although you have ferrari mercedes and renault still in it 
They're also teams. They're running their works team. So you have the Ferrari team, the Mercedes team, and the Renault team, and then they sell their engines to customers. Whereas Honda was the only manufacturer in it that didn't have a team themselves. And so I think it's a shame to lose that because that's what Formula One wanted to try and encourage is to bring Volkswagen or Audi or Peugeot or, you know, any of these uh, manufacturers to enter, but just basically as an engine supplier. So now that that doesn't exist any anymore. Now, that means Honda stepping away leaves both AlphaTauri and Red Bull without an engine supplier at the end of next year. So lots of questions being asked to team principal of Red Bull, Christian Horner. Yeah, of course, it's disappointing. I think it's disappointing for Formula One to lose a brand like, you know, Honda. And, uh, you know, we're grateful for them letting us know in plenty of time. So we've still got a year and a half left within our, our relationship. But, uh you know, it uh, poses some big questions, you know, for the for the future. But, uh, you know, we've really enjoyed working with Honda. The collaboration has been, you know, has been great so far. And, um, you know, there's an assurance that they're going to push all the way to the finish of the relationship at the end of next year. You help them into being a race winning, potentially a championship winning engine. After all the struggles with McLaren, after all the insults from Fernando Alonso and others, after all the, the pain, you know, you've got them to be, helped them to be, and they've done the work to be a winning engine again. So why? Why now? I think look, it's, a, it's a tough world at the moment, isn't it? I mean, many things are changing. They've made their reasoning clear that their, their automotive you know, investment and business is going in a, in a different direction to that of Formula One. Uh, and it poses some questions for Formula One to consider about future engine technologies. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it's brought into the spotlight, um, you know, what is the future of Formula One engines and should we even consider, you know, bringing a new technology forward from the 2026 introduction date. All right, well, let's pick up on that. What do you think we should do with engines, Formula One should do with engines next? Well, I think if you look at the complexity of these engines, no manufacturer would come into Formula One under the current rules. And I think that we have to reduce significantly the costs. We have to reduce the variability between the engines. And I think Formula One has decisions to make about what is the future. We have an electric series in Formula E. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, obviously uh, biofuels to consider and to look at. And the introduction of some of that is due in 2022. But do we look at something totally different for 2026 or even bring that forward, ideally, maybe even to 2025? Um, you know, that could... You, you could consider hydrogen, you could consider, you know, uh, other technologies, or should Formula One just be entertainment and it be um, high revving, uh, you know, engines with an element of technology to them. So there's some fundamental questions that need to be considered. OK, Red Bull have shown that they can win with Renault engines. They've shown they can win with Honda engines. So you clearly know what you're doing. Um, what are you going to do for an engine now? Can you take the Honda engine now, rebadge it as something else and run it yourself? Well, you know, we have to look at all the options. We've got a bit of time to do that, to consider all of the options. I mean, one thing's for sure is we need a competitive engine. A team like Red Bull, you know, the situation that we've been in in the past, um, you know, we, we need to be in a comp competitive position. We need a competitive power unit. But, of course, 
you know, cost is a key factor in that, you know, regulations are a key factor in that, and we have to explore all the options, you know, in, in terms of the availability of supply, who would be prepared to supply, and obviously under what, uh, under what conditions. It's, it's not a normal customer team transaction supplying a team like Red Bull. Andrew, a lot of meat, I suppose, to pick from the bone on that interview. What, what do you think are the standout points that Christian Horner's making? Well, I think he summed up the situation extremely well. Um, there are a lot of questions that this, 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 this raises. One point that he didn't raise in that was something that Renault's uh, F1 boss Cyril Abitbull said today uh, when he was talking about this topic, which was he said there's no business case in Formula One to be an engine supplier alone. Um, he, and that's basically why Renault wanted out of Red Bull. OK, the relationship was fractious, but, you know, that relationship was problematic from, for a very long time, even when they were winning, because Renault didn't feel like they were getting the, the brand exposure that they deserved from that. And maybe that was the case with Honda as well. Maybe that was in the mix. You know, Red Bull did their best to talk about Red Bull and Honda, but it was always a Red Bull car winning, you know, whereas when Mercedes win, there's no question in anyone's mind that that's related to the Mercedes road cars. So, yeah, you know, cost technology, these are all big, big questions that Formula One has to confront uh, in the next not distant future at all, because, you know, if you're going to introduce a new engine in uh, three or four years time, you need to get on with it now. Why do you think that is different, Andrew? Why do you think that, because in the past, as I sort of mentioned earlier on, Ford won world championships with uh, Benetton. Williams, Renault were the, you know, the, the big team of the of the 90s Peugeot got involved as well none as manufacturer team so at the time they they thought it was viable to just be an engine manufacturer well a business case defines you know a, an expense and a profit and a, and a and a marketing gain doesn't it and those are all weighed against each other and one of the points that Christian Horner was making in that interview was the, it was the expense these engines are remarkable pieces of engineering They've produced an absolute revolution in uh, efficiency. Uh, just to give that some context, you know, a, an average road car engine's got around 30 to 35% conversion of uh, fuel energy to power. These Formula One engines are more than 50%. It's absolutely incredible. But they're also incredibly expensive. And so anyone coming, no one's going to come in now knowing how expensive, how complex, and how difficult they are, and questionable relations to road cars because the the technologies within Formula One engines are they're hard to transfer directly to road cars um, the ones that make them so efficient so what Formula One has to wrestle with is you know how does it stay relevant how does it you know not expose itself to questions about sustainability in a world that's suffering a climate crisis as well as a pandemic which is affecting economics as well as health um, and also provide a affordable and competitive engine where all the teams can be on a relatively even playing field. It's the complexity that's the real killer, I think, for Formula One right now. It's so impressive, but the, the, the engines and what they can do, but they're so complex. And this is why you have a lack of competition in the engine department now that Ferrari have lost their advantage of the last few years, which they seem to have from illegal means. Mercedes are leaps and bounds ahead, as they were before. The cost is so high, but the complexity, anyone coming in has to pay a fortune to be beaten by Mercedes, basically. And what's worrying is Christian Horner basically saying he doesn't see anyone else coming in. 
we've only got three engine manufacturers as it is. It's all we had at the start of these rules as well. Honda came in and now they're going to leave. But the cost to run these engines, the very clever, amazing technology, the cost is so high and they're so complex that trying to beat Mercedes as a new entrant in the, in the engine market is just not going to happen. The cost is so high, you're not getting your marketing returns either. The combustion engine era of every other year in Formula One was just a much simpler, cheaper world. And that's my ultimate question is, Andrew's saying all these things about thermal efficiency, and it's amazing, and it's great, and it's really, really impressive. Do I care? Is it great for the engine manufacturers? Yes. Is it great that they're forwarding their technology? Yes. Is it ultimately best uh, good for the sort of environment? But would they not be achieving that anyway? But you Formula know, One, Formula One have got a problem. You don't care. Not particularly. As it seems. That, no, uh, that this I, technology exists. You know, Mercedes are doing what they're doing, and that's great, and they're in Formula One, and that's helping them. But does that mean that BMW not being in Formula One are absolutely rubbish at hybrid engines and are way behind the curve when they're manufacturing their road cars compared to Mercedes and Porsche and all of these car companies out of the loop because Mercedes are the only ones doing F1? I highly doubt it. And... Mm. No, what and relevance does it make to the sport that we ultimately want to watch? Yeah, you like Formula One because you like seeing cars go round in a circle, racing each other hard. Yeah. That's why we all love Formula One. We don't love Formula One because of these amazing hybrid engines. That's exactly the point and a very fair point. The problem is the world's changing. Can Formula One remain sustainable without starting to look at going carbon neutral, which it is doing... Can it revert back to, to the old days? In the olden days, you'd have bear baiting, cockfighting. <laughs> you know, these are sports. Yeah, that, yeah, 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 Even yeah. fox hunting. Yeah. You know, sports that were normal back in the day, and then the world changes and they become defunct. So are you saying F1 is in a position where it could in the future become obsolete? And I, to be clear, I'm not saying bring back just pure petrol engines and let's send the emissions into the atmosphere but it's the question of the the there must be some kind of middle ground where they don't need to the engines don't need to be this complex and and expensive but maybe they do if that's the the way that future technology goes i'm sure formula one are going to look at how they can keep this green ethos going whilst cutting a load of costs and simplifying the engines. That's the number one. And again, that's what Christian Horner was, was referencing, really. Mm. Because Formula One, it could become obsolete if it simply focuses on V8 engines, V10s, combustion engines, could make Formula One obsolete, to be honest, because the amount of regulation that's going worldwide about electric vehicles, no, no um, combustion engines, no diesel engines in London coming in soon, or old, old diesels, you know, the world is clearly going that direction. So Formula One has to at least go go with it, really, to not be be an old, outdated thing. If there was a steam engine race, I think we'd all be thinking it was a bit odd right now. Watch horse racing. 
Yeah, yeah but that's not polluting the environment. Correct. What Jolien's saying, everyone in Formula One accepts. When I say everyone in Formula One, I mean all the people, all the stakeholders, the people who make the decisions. No one thinks that it can go back to standard naturally aspirated engines. Agreed. They all accept it has to move with the 21st century. It has to stay relevant. It can't exist in a bubble outside of the world I was mentioning before. The question is, how? Because... The, the reality is that not even the road car manufacturers know where technology is going. They're all pursuing battery power at the moment. But, you know, battery cars, they, they don't, they're not all convinced that battery cars are the answer. You know, hydrogen fuel cell might be, might be a possible technology. Then you've got synthetic fuels, which you, um, you use to, com, com, to power a normal combustion engine. But they're created by extracting carbon from the atmosphere. So they're carbon neutral, effectively. That's the next step that Formula One is talking about. Uh, synthetic fuels are already introducing 10% biofuels next year. They're talking about synthetic fuels for 2025 or 2026. It's all going in that general direction. Maybe more, maybe more of the overall proportion of the power coming from a hybrid aspect, but not as complex as the current one. If you speak privately to some of the engine manufacturers in Formula One, they will say, "Do you know what? Maybe if we, when we, if we'd gone back and looked at that decision again when they introduced hybrids, maybe they didn't need to go for the MGUH, which is the sort of highly complex turbo energy recovery part of the hybrid engine. Maybe they could have stuck with." The, the old V8s, but add on a much bigger, you know, uh, KERS system, you know, the kinetic energy recovery system and, and push that as hybrid. And then some of this, all of this angst that we're going through at the moment in this conversation wouldn't be existing. Um, that could be a potential solution in the future, but I think it'll have to be combined with other things that will uh, um, increase the, uh, the, you know, the, the carbon efficiency of the sport as a whole. And in all of it, Formula One's ended up in, in a really sticky position between really high costs and the, the green carbon neutral movement they've pushed towards. The really high costs weren't such a big problem until COVID and revenues were slashed. Companies are struggling across the world, not just in sport, not just in motorsport. Mm. But Honda, pre-COVID, maybe they wouldn't have... They, they would have gone with it a little bit longer. And, and you know, maybe they're seeing that future, that the, the automotive industry could be tough. And suddenly the numbers you're spending on a Formula One engine to supply Red Bull doesn't seem worthwhile. But it's all, it's the, uh, a bad hand that's been dealt across the world, but it's affecting Formula One badly because they're set up with this system of basically very high cost. And because of, the other side of, of the flank attacking it, which is um, the green carbon neutral low emission side, there's no way to backtrack away from it very easily. It's, it's a difficult position. Um, does this mean Max Verstappen finds himself in a difficult position? That's the question, Jack. Obviously, he's a Red Bull driver. He's got a contract. However, some people are suggesting that Honda walking away could leave a hole for him to be able to get out of that contract. Let's go to Andrew first. Well, there's a really interesting situation developing here, uh, Jenny, because I was told earlier this week by someone who's very close to Red Bull that this Honda decision means Verstappen is free at the end of 2021 to leave if he wants to. Christian Horner, earlier in the week, 
absolutely denied that in an interview on Red Bull's television station, saying that there was no engine-related clause in the contract. But he was asked today how that squared with earlier remarks from Helmut Marko, the sort of Red Bull, the sort of head of the overall Red Bull Motorsport program, who said that there was an engine clause in Verstappen's contract. What was the contradiction? You know, could he square the contradiction? And Horner did not answer the question. He only sort of made some sort of general remarks about how Verstappen was still committed to the team and they were in the same boat because he needed a competitive engine and so did the team and he still believes in the team very much and blah, blah, blah. So I thought the lack of a, of a definitive answer on that one was very interesting today. We don't know the truth, but um, obviously it raises all sorts of interesting questions about the driver market going forward, including with Mercedes, because obviously Lewis Hamilton is knocking on a bit. He's still fantastic, but he's 36 next year and uh, sooner or later, Mercedes have to think about what the next step is after him. But, but if you are Max Verstappen and you can get out of your contract end of next year, there's only one team that you can possibly go to that would be an upgrade on Red Bull. That one team may rely on Hamilton leaving the team to sign sort of a replacement number one driver unless they pitch Verstappen alongside Hamilton, which would be unbelievable for for everyone watching. But would Hamilton be happy with that age what will he be 37 at the start of 2022 up against a young hungry motivated max verstappen who gets a big break with mercedes aiming for a first title i don't know if hamilton would be would be allowing that but i guess the question is will mercedes be the only upgrade in terms of team they are now but a red bull without a without a uh, factory supported engine deal would they be well what's well, going to happen if they don't have a factory supported engine well they'll get a renault and then they'll be the same as the last few years where verstappen was fine this so, is this so, yeah good point is, <laughs> is this verstappen's hamilton moment if you look at lewis hamilton he jumped ship from mclaren and went to mercedes could this be the beginning of a moment where if verstappen is clever if he uses all of his feeling for formula one could he make a great decision and jump to someone who is emerging, to someone who could surprise us all. Who's that going to be that's that's, the, that's not Red Bull? Especially because of the of the details and the, and the engine disparity and all of the things that we've discussed and is the reason that Formula One's in its tricky position. When, uh, when Hamilton made his jump from McLaren to Mercedes, a lot of people thought it was wrong. I thought it was a bit mad. More, many more important people than me thought it was totally mad. But at least you knew Mercedes were a proper manufacturer team that were going to spend money. So, you know, he's taken a gamble on it. Now, there are no teams that are going to be anywhere near the budget of Red Bull and Mercedes. If he goes to McLaren, they're not going to be spending the same amount of money. If he goes to Renault, they're not going to be spending the same amount of money. If he went to Aston Martin, they're not going to be spending the same amount of money. And money is really, really important in formula one and i think so that is the that's the point is that people have that mclaren has the potential with the mercedes engine to be really really good in the next couple of years really good the best car no chance so we're never going to get the battle that everybody wants is basically where we're going with this which is would be to see max verstappen in a car either the Mercedes or a car as good as the Mercedes to see which one of them is actually the better driver on a given season. I think that it's tough to see where Mercedes is going to be beaten 
the, there are rule changes coming up, which mm. is obviously an exciting time for everyone else in the field to try and make the best of the rule changes. The rule changes are big. They're going to hopefully shake up the order in a similar way to what we hoped would be the, the last major rule changes. But the key thing is the engine seems to be staying the same. And it's the engine where Mercedes have been so dominant since the switch to hybrids in 2014. There was a big rule change, 2016 to 2017. Ferrari made a, a good job of it and they closed the gap, certainly to Mercedes, for a couple of years. How much of that was the engine and, and the illegality of it? It's difficult to know. But there could be hope for even a team like Renault, Alpine, factory team that can they they've won titles in the past maybe they can, can can do it and everyone would want max verstappen as a driver if verstappen believed in the project i think the question is will anyone be able to catch mercedes yeah. i guess in years gone by you would have asked the same about ferrari or when ferrari and mclaren were dominating who would ever topple ferrari and mclaren from their years and years of dominance up until 2008 yeah and, and then I, it happens and i think to clarify my point is um mclaren if once they get a Mercedes engine, they could be really, really good. But my point is, they're never going to—they're not going to dominate Mercedes because they're going to be having the the, the same engine. So McLaren, if Verstappen went to McLaren, might have a shot at the title in 2022. To be to be perfectly honest with you, I'd maybe even rather be there than at Red Bull potentially. But there's no obvious signs of of where to go. Well, we shall continue our discussion across the weekend. Hopefully, we'll even get some running of cars on track if the weather abates. Fingers crossed it will. That's all for us this evening. You can follow all the weekend's action on the BBC Sport website with the race going off a little earlier this Sunday at ten past one. This has been an IMG production for BBC Radio 5 Live. I'm Emily Maitlis. And I'm John Sopel. And we're here to tell you about Americast. There's less than 100 days until the presidential election on November the 3rd. And there's a lot to talk about. I am your president of law and order. This is not out of character for Donald Trump. The country is crying out for leadership. Joe Biden, if he wins the election, is going to be 78 on day one. It's not going to be geeky. We're going to bring it to life. We're going to have an outsider's view, but an expert eye on what is happening in America. The pandemic, whether we like it or not, has dominated the whole electoral cycle and will continue to dominate it. On our <laughs> Bingo card. I don't think we had demon sperm at any point. Oh, you fool. Why not? Once again, we have run out of time, but with plenty more to say. Maitlis, do you think we could pioneer the four-hour podcast? <laughs> you can find Americast on BBC Sounds in the UK or on other podcast platforms if you're not 